Recently, I received an email from uh, somebody I know, a, a student, who was asking if he could discuss a particular dilemma that he was uh, feeling faced with, or actually, I think it was, I think it was a, a couple of dilemmas, and and we did end up having uh, a use, useful conversation. I hope he found it useful. I found it useful uh, partly because it brought to mind uh, this particular topic of how do we how do we use our practice when we feel faced with a dilemma. All of us through li- our lives are faced over and over again with dilemmas, and, and so something if you're living the householder's life and you're confronted with something like should I go back to university and study more uh, however that means you're not going to spend so much time with the family what do you do with that question and, um, or um, moving from one place to live to another and there's opportunities to go and live somewhere else and um, however by leaving where you're at, you're also losing a lot. So, which is the right decision? Should I stay? Should I go? Or should I say something? Like, if you're in a situation where there's somebody behaving in a way that's you feel very uncomfortable with, and and you, part of you feels like you really want to say something, another part of you feels like, well, there's going to be consequences if I say something. Should I say something? Should I not say something? I'm, a dilemma. When the, the perspective of the spiritual life and been using a particular approach, following a particular approach to, to our practice and, and maybe uh, aiming at developing the jhanas and, and narrowing attention and concentrating, concentrating, focusing, focusing and been doing it for a long time and you feel inspired by some of the talks that you've heard and, and all the references in the scriptures to how you should develop the jhanas. And, and yet, somehow, it's just losing inspiration and getting a headache, getting dizzy, and don't feel like it's really working. And, and then you hear other teachings that, that present a more trusting approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm less goal-oriented approach to practice and and then you're faced with a dilemma. Should I continue this particular effort I've been making or if I give up this particular effort, does that mean I'm going to lose all the benefit that I have been potentially generating? Or is this uh, another approach to practice called for as a dilemma? What do we do when we're faced with dilemmas? Well, if we're not careful, we can follow the conditioned tendency to just go up our head and into our heads and think about it. Anybody who's had a Western-style education, that's the uh, likelihood. Uh, go up into the head and start thinking, should I follow this approach or should I follow
follow that one. Should I take this decision or should I take that decision? And you, think, and you can really drive yourself silly by thinking about it. And There is another way of approaching dilemmas and, uh, and my uh, personal very strong encouragement. The thing to do is to remember that which is most important in our lives. What is what in, the, in our hearts, what, what matters most? We have all been conditioned by worldly influences to have various ideas and stories going around in our heads about what matters most, you know, like being liked by other people or being affluent or being healthy. When you stop to think about it, well, you can never be liked by everybody. Sooner or later, somebody's not going to like you. A lot of people are probably not going to like you. Even the Buddha, the people didn't like the Buddha. So that's not a that's not a particularly good priority. And, and the body, well, you, know, you can stay healthy for a while. Eventually, you're going to get sick and die. And so that's not a really good priority. And affluence, well, who knows on that level? You know, you know, what's going to happen with the with the banks, or if you're into cryptocurrency, what you know, fluctuations in value? What's going to happen there? And, it's relatively important. However, is that the most important thing? Is that really worth making a priority in our lives? Well, this, of course, is the, the great spiritual question, like for the Buddha himself when he was 29 years old, this, this great question, what matters most? Yeah. Is it being successful? And he would be successful in all sorts of areas of his life. And and then when he was confronted with old age, sickness and death, and the great doubt came up. And Is this all there is? And then the aspiration, which became the most, most important thing of his life, the aspiration to search to see if there is a way out of suffering, out of perpetual hope and disappointment and inspiration and disillusionment, health and sickness, the vicissitudes of life. Are we going to spend our lives doing this and then just die? Or is there a way out of it? Is there an alternative? And that was his most important question. That's what mattered to him most. So if we're faced with a dilemma, my very strong suggestion would be to check in with our own hearts and, and reaffirm that which matters most to us. Not whether we're worldly successful or physically healthy, all those things are relatively significant. However, there must be something surely that's deeper and more important than that. And and to reconnect with that, this reaffirmation of faith and and if we ask ourselves, well what is this in our own case? Well then we can find find our own words and you know, maybe it's the reaffirmation of the faith we have in actuality, that there is truth. There is truth behind all the chaos there are laws, there is order. There is order within the chaos. You look at the world, and I was talking to somebody recently, and they're saying the whole world is upside down and in chaos. And yeah, It can look like that, certainly if you look at the news, and it can look like that. However, do we really believe that's all there is? Or is there not the law of cause and effect, not the law of karma, 
Is there not Dhamma? Is there not order within the chaos, with the confusion? Presumably, as we're following the Buddha's teachings, we all have faith that there is order within the chaos, that there is actuality, and that the Buddha realized actuality, the Buddha realized the Dhamma and then taught the Dhamma. So, what is the most important thing in life? What matters to us most? Well, maybe it's the faith we have that realization, freedom from suffering is possible. Faith that the Buddha was awakened. And, and affirming this, not just by sitting there with our eyes closed thinking, oh yeah, the Buddha was awakened, that's great, that's amazing, that's good. And we can do more than that, and that's why we have these traditional practices of, of bowing and chanting. You know, the three, ver- three forms of kamma, kaya kamma, wajikamma, manokamma, you know, with the mind, with the speech, with the body, affirming, bowing down to, chanting, expressing our gratitude and our respect for the Dhamma. And yes, mentally uh, affirming. So this... This is a good place to start, I would suggest, uh, if we're faced with a dilemma. Not letting ourselves just go up into our heads and think about the dilemma and then very quickly see how our mind goes off into the future. Well, what happens if I don't resolve this dilemma? Well, we're not really connecting with our hearts. We're up in our heads there with a, a story, with a nightmare, with a drama that we're creating, compulsively creating. And, and I would suggest that it's very helpful to remind ourselves that that's not, the, that's not necessarily the only approach. Rather to ask our hearts what matters most, what is most important in my life. Sometimes in the past I've suggested the exercise of imagining that you're at the end of your life. You're an old man, old woman at the end of your life and then some young person comes to see you a niece or a nephew, somebody maybe around 20, 24 years old, you know, really bright mind and their life ahead of them and, and they're really concerned about not wasting their life and, and since you're at the end of your life and they ask you, what matters most? What should I be focusing on? What should I be paying attention to? And not being so quick to answer that question, not again going up into our heads and thinking about, well, I think I could say that, I think I could say this, you know. Rather, asking again, asking our hearts, asking our guts, what is most important? I've spoken before also about how, uh, at the time when I was being invited to take over as leader of this community, I was, I was caught in quite a, quite a degree of, of um, anticipation, and it wasn't comfortable and. I wasn't sure that I was up to it until one morning I was, this was before I arrived here, one morning I was on retreat at Amrawati and, and one morning I, after the morning chanting I found my mind reflecting on what we'd just been chanting. So I am a servant of the Buddha. I am a servant of the Dhamma. I am a servant of the Sangha. This, this, the disposition of a servant, the more I thought about it, the more attractive I found it and, and realized that that was what I actually felt drawn to, I was attracted to that I was inspired by that the idea of having to be a master trying to master meditation techniques and, and master the job or master the, my responsibilities as a leader of a community or, as, 
much less attractive. That was, to some degree, obviously, uh, the story that had somehow I'd assimilated and uh, allowed to develop in my mind. It wasn't really what mattered. It didn't, it didn't, didn't appeal to me in the same way as, as the suggestion of learning how to be a good servant. So again, contemplating, remembering, uh, reaffirming that which is most important in our hearts, not in our heads. And when we're faced with a quandary, I would suggest that's a good place to start. And having reaffirmed that dimension, then to pay attention to the quality of awareness that we're living out of. The quality of awareness that we have, uh, again, as follows the Buddhist teachings, we know that awareness is something that can be cultivated. Jitta Pawana, cultivating awareness, cultivating the heart. It's the work that we can do. This path of practice is not a belief system. There are beliefs that we hold to. The most important aspect of this path of practice is the work of purifying awareness, purifying the heart. And so if we are faced with a real question, a real quandary, something that we really feel flummoxed by. How do I handle this situation? What are we, in what sort of space are we going to receive that question, that dilemma? Because potentially that, that the outcome can be significant. So we want to be working in a, in a clean environment. And it's like cooking a meal. You've got really super healthy, organic, eco-friendly food to prepare. And yet if the kitchen is not clean, the food can be unhealthy to eat. Or using a medical example, if you're performing some medical procedure and it's not a sterile environment, then there can be serious infection and and unfortunate consequences. So the environment in which we're doing this work of purifying awareness and bringing that to heart, bringing that to mind. And then what that means is seeing that which is impure. We can imagine, we can have faith in the idea of purified awareness and that can be great, that can be brilliant in in terms of encouraging us, the possibility, oh yeah, it's not just a matter of having the right idea and believing in it and and then those who don't believe it, well, tough luck for them because I'm, I'm believing in the, the right story. Not like that at all. Rather, it's the quality of awareness, the, the consciousness that we have. What can we do about it? Where is, where is, where's the effort? What sort of effort do we need to be making? And that is, means that we don't just fantasize or imagine purified awareness, but we see that which is impure. And one of the things that very quickly comes to mind, in my mind anyway, is the impurity, the pollution of the compulsive judging mind. Again, the kind of education we receive that's perfectly natural to to want to be right and to be afraid of being wrong. 
to want to be sure, to be afraid of being unsure, of taking the good and setting up against the bad. And this kind of approach to life means that the mind can become compulsively discriminating, compulsively partial, always taking sides for or against and hoping to get it right and afraid of getting it wrong. And that's really painful. If we're attentive, we can recognize that as a as a pollution of awareness, a compulsive judging mind. And if we start to reflect on it and, and see, well, the mind's conditioned this way, but it's something that you can notice. You can see the mind moving towards having an opinion. Oh, that's right, or that's wrong, or that's good, or that's bad. Can we, can we just silently notice the impulse to have an opinion? Can we make, at least make the effort to notice the mind moving, liking, disliking, setting conditions up against each other, taking sides, uh, picking and choosing. And what is that which is noticing? What is that knowingness, that presence? Can we cultivate that? If we begin to get some perspective on this, then we can see the, the impurity that is the compulsive judging mind and see, well, you don't have to judge it. If you just judge the judging mind, well, that's more of the same thing. So, in other words, we start to get a handle on it, like no judging the judging mind. The judging mind just does its thing. Judging, discriminating, picking and choosing, of course that's something that the mind can do. It's an aspect of intelligence. It's amazing. It's great. We're fortunate. If we didn't have it, we're in big trouble. So the, the movement itself is not the problem. It's the being caught up in the movement that creates trouble. So start to see that and then work on that. Then we're working on purifying awareness. And if we're in this territory of looking at the quality of awareness that we're living out of, there may be also we'll have the good fortune of being able to own up to, to recognize that right now, faced with this quandary, faced with this dilemma, I don't know what to do. Probably for most people, and the thought of I don't know what to do is quite intimidating, quite frightening, quite unattractive. Again, because we're seriously conditioned to love knowing, to love being sure. And so to own up to the fact that I don't know right here and now, I don't know, can be really grounding, grounding ourselves in this truth. We say, I go for refuge to Dhamma. What does that mean, I go for refuge to Dhamma? Well, it can be in the early stages that I study the teachings that the Buddha gave and and I have confidence in them. However, we take it to another level. Going for refuge to the Dhamma means going for refuge to truth, to actuality, to what is true right here and now. And what can we know right here and now that is true? Often, the truth that we can know the truth that grounds us is that I don't know. I, again, I, I, I remember I've spoken about this often and, and, and I, I, sometimes I get the impression that people think they know what I'm talking about. However, do, do you really know what this means to acknowledge, to, to just slow down enough 
to really feel more deeply, not just think in the head, oh yeah, that's an interesting idea, but really to feel what it feels like, the uncertainty that comes with not knowing, the uncertainty of acknowledging not knowing. It can be very grounding, it can be very stabilizing. And the habits that we cultivate, again, because of the worldly conditioning, the education we have, we're very quick uh, we get very greedy, actually. We get very greedy to understand, and the the, uh, the knowledge that we have with a, a, a theoretical or an abstract understanding in our head is quite. It's often the case, and more often than not, I would suggest that we we get addicted to that. We get addicted to abstract understanding, to feeling sure, and that is something that we can feed on for a lot of the time. And, we get around sort of feeling somewhat sure about life. However, when we're really faced with a real tricky dilemma and we don't have any idea that makes us feel safe and sure, we're just faced with the raw reality of uncertainty. And if we don't want to suffer, then this approach can really make a difference, to learn to feel okay about not knowing. Again, if I talk about this, I think some people imagine that I'm holding this up as the goal, you know, as if somehow not knowing anything is the goal. That's definitely not what I'm talking about. It's rather acknowledging where we're at. Even if you're a committed materialist and, and you know, following scientific model, well, the place you start is with acknowledging that you don't know. And from that place, then you're ready to move on. If we bypass that with some story of what it's going to be like and whether we're ever going to succeed in solving our quandary and, and finding a solution to our dilemma or, or, or not, we're not quite there, we're not quite all here. So as a second point in this uh, approaching life's dilemmas, I would recommend grounding ourselves in here and now, judgment-free awareness of the fact that we don't know what we're doing. So first, reaffirming faith and actuality, and then grounding ourselves in here and now, judgment-free awareness of the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. However, I'm interested in finding out, and to acknowledge that we don't know doesn't contradict the longing to understand. And that is the third point I would I would recommend in terms of facing a dilemma uh, to really be honest about what it is that we want. And to ask ourselves, what is it? What is it that I want? Yeah. And what is it that I want? We've just been chanting the Dhamma Chaka Sutta this evening and, and the Buddha explains in the Four Noble Truths how it's the unawareness of our relationship with wanting that creates the struggle of life. Craving is the is the problem. It's not wanting. And the Buddha didn't get rid of wanting. Getting rid of wanting is like getting rid of fire. And if you live in Northumberland in England, if you don't have fire, that's really why well, you couldn't live here very very well. However, the relationship, the understanding we have of the nature of fire is is tremendously important because if you have an uninformed, irresponsible, heedless relationship with fire, you can 
burn down the place you're living in or you can get burnt yourself. So, so we educate our, our bodies on that level. You don't get too close to the fire. You learn to contain it. Yeah. And likewise with desire, if we don't understand it, if we haven't examined it, if we have an obstructed relationship to desire, then what happens is we cling to it or we resist it and, and we create craving. That's different from desire. That's really painful. That's not just like the wholesome motivation of wanting to help somebody or wanting to understand or wanting to free our hearts from greed, hatred and delusion. If we, however, cling to those forms of wanting, then we create obstructions. And So when we're faced with a, a dilemma, a real difficult, challenging dilemma, let's be careful that we don't just go up into our heads and follow some conditioned pattern of making stories and uh, about how I'm a failure because I don't know what I'm doing or, or, or I should know what I'm doing. Or first, reaffirm the faith, the heart confidence that there is actuality, there is truth and the Buddha realized it and in what way does that manifest for us? What does that mean to us individually? And then grounding ourselves in the field of awareness, the, acknowledging the work that we need to be doing to purify awareness, uh, and getting some sort of a handle, for instance, on on the compulsive judging and taking sides. And so, so when we acknowledge that we don't know what we're doing, we don't judge ourselves. It's just like that. Of course you don't know. There's all sorts of things we don't know. How could it be otherwise? There's all sorts of things that we don't know, no judgment. Then we're in a position to look deeper. And looking deeper, sooner or later, we need to look more deeply at our relationship to wanting until we start coming up with a real, a real direct acknowledgement of right here now, what I'm wanting, what I'm looking for is I want certainty, I want clarity. And this, but this is not talking about here, we're not talking about this as an idea talking about something that we really, really acknowledge, really acknowledge, and if we're really acknowledging, really in touch with it, then there's an ease that comes out of that, an ease of owning our heart's desires. You know, unfortunately, so many Buddhists misunderstand the teachings on the Four Noble Truths and make a problem out of having desire. There's a craving that the Buddha wanted us to acknowledge and, and be free from. So when we're wanting something, wanting to understand, wanting to be free from suffering, to really stop resisting it, to see the habits of resistance and the habits of indulgence, and and really acknowledge right now, right here now, I want to not be here, maybe. I want to get out of here. That doesn't mean to say that we have to get out of here. It's becoming one with that which is true, that heart energy of wanting, owning up to it, being honest about it. So whatever dilemmas life gives us, I would encourage us all to uh, be careful and, and not just judge the situation as somehow wrong because it's, it's really frustrating. And that's the definition of a dilemma. It feels frustrating. And if we are used to the pleasant feeling of contentment, 
then when we feel discontented, it's tempting to say it's wrong. It shouldn't be this way. That's not a helpful approach. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Sa <laughs>